Welcome everyone to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal Podcast. I'm Dr. Andrea Spiker from the University of Wisconsin. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Mia Hagen, who is an assistant professor at the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington. Dr. Hagen was the first author of the publication titled Magnetic Resonance Imaging Predictors of Chondral Lesions in Patients with Femoral Acetabular Impingement, an Analysis of 545 Cases, which was published in the August 2021 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. Her co-authors on this publication include co-first author William Hannay, Quinn Saluan, Tishon Lynch, Robert Westerman, and James Rosneck. Welcome, Dr. Hagen, and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Andrea. So Mia, can you start our conversation off by telling us a little bit about the reason that you decided to pursue this study, and how has this topic come up in your own practice? Sure. So the idea for this study actually came out when I was in my fellowship um, at the Cleveland Clinic with one of my co-authors, Robbie Westerman. And um, we noticed that although we would have these MRIs showing that the cartilage in these hips looked pretty clean, when we looked at them in arthroscopy, we were seeing chondral defects that were not detected on these MRIs. Um, And this was even with, you know, three Tesla magnets and also with arthrogram studies. And so we were interested in seeing, well, you know, just how good are MRIs in predicting these these lesions? And, you know, there was some literature on this pre-existing, but nothing with a large uh, patient population and, and collected in a prospective manner. And so we had access to um, a large prospective database at the Cleveland Clinic and um, decided to take advantage of this in order to compare intraoperative findings to what was uh, reported on the radiology reports. Why do you think it's so important for us in the hip arthroscopy world to understand the status of cartilage prior to what we see intraoperatively with the hip arthroscopy? Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the, um, you know, what we know from our outcome studies in the hip arthroscopy literature is that when we do surgery to correct femoral acetabular impingement and labral tears, the patients that have these higher grade cartilage defects or um, findings of osteoarthritis tend to do more poorly um, and do not receive the same amount of benefit in terms of pain relief and restoration of function. And so being able to diagnose uh, these more advanced cartilage lesions preoperatively can help us counseling our patients and giving them you know, expectations on the benefit that surgery may pose to them. And have you found in your own practice that this, this problem persists that, you know, what we see on MRI is not what we end up seeing inside the hip joint? Yes, I have been surprised, you know, from time to time, again, on, you know, what would look like a pretty clean MRI. um, And then, um, you know, when we get inside the joint, um, arthroscopically, finding a grade three or grade four defect um, on the acetabulum, or sometimes even on the femoral head. And one thing I think that was really... uh, important that set this study apart from others, as you mentioned, was the really large cohort that you were able to use. Um, And, you know, some of the other limitations of prior studies were that these cohorts were small. They didn't really make specific correlations between the MRI and the intraoperative state of the cartilage. And so I thought that was a very useful question that you guys sought to answer and were able to answer. So can you, on that topic, briefly discuss some of the differences in MR imaging that you encountered in this study? Sure. Um, Within the patients that we were looking at, we included MRIs that were 
um, internal as well as external in order to make this as generalizable as we could for other practicing um, hip surgeons. And so we had a combination of three Tesla and 1.5 Tesla MRIs, as well as arthrogram and non-arthrogram studies. The majority of the MRIs, though, were from within our institution, which was typically done on a you know three Tesla scanner as a non-arthrogram study. And in your own practice now, what are you typically ordering if you're uh, evaluating a patient for hip pain for the first time? Sure. So after initial um, screening radiographs, you know, if we are going down a path of considering arthroscopy, I do order an MRI um, to look for um, labral tear, um, as well as to look at the status of the cartilage. And so um, in our practice at the University of Washington, we do something very similar to what we did in my fellowship, which is a three Tesla MRI um, as a non-arthrogram. And the reason for that is, you know, with the right sequences on the three Tesla, um, you can have the same amount of sensitivity for detecting labral tears as we do on not on the arthrogram studies with the 1.5 Tesla magnet. And the benefit to the patient is that they don't have to go through the, you know, pain or discomfort of an arthrogram uh, injection. And what about in the post-operative setting? What kind of MR imaging are you obtaining? So postoperatively, it's a bit different. So if I'm evaluating a patient who has had prior hip arthroscopy um, with continued pain um, and radiographs are not conclusive, um, then I typically will use an arthrogram study. And, and the reason for that is it really enhances the, uh, the quality of the capsule. And I can make a determination on that imaging of, you know, what, how much stability might there be with, with the capsulars, whether iatrogenic um, removal of that or uh, or non non healing of that that might be contributing to pain or instability of the hip. It's great to hear that at our other UW, the University of Wisconsin, we have a very similar approach with our MRI. So I'm doing the same as you with a three Tesla non arthrogram preoperatively and then an arthrogram postoperatively. So it's great to hear that there's uh, there's some development of standardization across the country here. So one of the results that I found most compelling from your study was that 31% of the patients who had full thickness cartilage lesions at the time of surgery had actually no findings insinuating that they had um, those types of uh, cartilage damage based on their preoperative MRI. And you additionally found that the sensitivity and specificity of the MRI finding a full thickness lesion was about 69% and 62% respectively. So when comparing non-arthrography to arthrography studies in your study, um, the specificity was about the same, so 61 and 63%. And then surprisingly, you guys found that the sensitivity was higher with non-arthrography studies. You reported it to be 76% sensitivity with a non-arthrogram compared to 50% sensitivity with an arthrogram. Um, so this is actually similar to our own practice, but surprising uh, because one of the reasons that people use arthrograms is they think that it will give them better visualization in the primary setting. So can you comment a little bit on those findings? Sure. Um, yeah. So first, I just wanted to emphasize, that, uh, again, as, as you had that, you know, 30, 31 percent of these patients that had grade three or four defects found uh, intraoperatively had, had no suggestion of that on their preoperative MRI, which I found um, very um, surprising that it, the, the number was that high. And, you know, things that we were looking for on the MRIs were um, were based on what the radiologist reported, 
um, not based on our own interpretation of the MRI, but um, these reportings were um, anywhere from, you know, discussion of the cartilage having flaps or delamination or discussion of uh, subchondral edema or bone cysts, joint effusions, things like that, that might hint at the status of the cartilage. Um, and so, so that was pretty surprising. The um, difference between the arthrogram and the non-arthrogram, I think, can be explained by that the majority of the non-arthrogram studies were three Tesla, um, and there have been studies suggesting that the three Tesla magnet is better at looking at cartilage than the 1.5. Um, and so what we might be seeing there is that the a little bit of confounding of that um, arthrogram data because of the quality of the magnet. Unfortunately, in this um, study, we weren't able to comment on whether or not the um, scans were 1.5 or 3 Tesla because it was variably reported in the report what the quality of the magnet was. Um, and so um, we couldn't break that part down further. But I imagine that that is probably what's leaning towards the higher sensitivity that we see in the non-arthrogram. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And as part of the study, you also created an online risk calculator to determine the probability of finding either grade three or grade four cartilage lesions at the time of hip arthroscopy. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about this calculator and how it's used? Sure. Yeah. So again, with, with this study, you know, our intention was to make this a very practical paper for the um, practicing hip arthroscopist. And so in doing so, making a risk calculator in order to help put together this and make sense of this data. Um, and so this is a pretty simple risk calculator that's based off of the multivariable analysis that we did. Um, and the elements that were plugged into this um, included the, the five categories that the radiologist might report on um, that would indicate potentially a, a, an issue with the cartilage and then um, patient sex and patient age. So we didn't include all of the possibilities of variables like, you know, CAM morphology or BMI, et cetera, um, or radiographic findings. But we felt that, you know, again, trying to make keep this simple and clean um, to give some suggestion for a preoperative discussion with a patient. And so if you go to the URL that's um, listed in the in the manuscript, orthop.washington.edu slash hip risk, um, the calculator is there and it's very simple. You simply just put no or yes in terms of if the radiologist reported any chondral findings, any findings in the bone, presence of a joint effusion, a loose body, or a large paralateral cyst. And then you put in the patient gender and their age. And so, for example, if we have, you know, a 40, let's say we have like a 41-year-old male who has a no chondral findings reported on his MRI, but does have bone edema on the acetabular side. And, and when I mentioned bone edema, I would say that we excluded any edema that we saw in the head neck region that might be due to, um, you know, CAM impingement. So getting back to this calculator, um, looking at the joint effusion, say that says he had no joint effusion, no loose body, no paralegal cyst, click it in the calculator, and you'll see that the probability of finding an outer bridge, outer bridge grade three or four lesion at the time of surgery would be 36%. And so you can use that to kind of, as again, again, another piece in the puzzle of how to counsel patients on what we might see in the joint and how that might impact their post-operative outcome. I also checked out that you were all, I, I practiced a few different patients with that um, calculator and I found it very easy to use. And I do think that's a great way to, um, help patients in your preoperative counseling. So great job with that. One other thing I want to ask you is, you know, if you 
now have a patient, one of those 31% of patients, 31% of patients who um, have some sort of full thickness cartilage lesion, but don't have that indicated on their preoperative MRI. How are you currently treating some of these um, cartilage lesions as you find them? What's your current preference? I am pretty conservative. So I, given the results that we've seen on um, microfracture not being necessarily um, that beneficial to patients, um, I elect not to perform that. Um, so I usually just leave, leave the lesion alone. I'll do a, a mild, minor chondroplasty if there are any unstable defects, but again, trying to be on the least aggressive side as I can. And I, I don't routinely use any biologic agents. So typically I'll just address what I came there to address, which is the labral tear and the, you know, uh, acetabular or femoral uh, head impingement, and then let the patient know, you know, postoperatively what other findings we, we saw in there in terms of cartilage. Yeah, Nia, I have a very similar approach to these um, these surprise grade three or four cartilage lesions. And I think especially what you guys highlighted in your study, that there's a very high percentage of patients who don't have the expectation of having any type of microfracture done when they go into the operating room. Uh, microfracture changes the post-op protocol. And so I think that's that's uh, one other benefit to using a chondroplasty instead of microfracture is that, in fact, you, you might not necessarily have to change their post-op protocol, even though you weren't expecting to have to deal with that cartilage lesion. Absolutely. And I mean, honestly, for the patients that have the higher grade cartilages that we do see on their MRI, you know, that's a lot of careful patient counseling to make sure they understand that potentially the reason for their pain isn't just their impingement and their labral tear, but actually the, the cartilage problem. And really, our options are pretty limited in terms of what we can do to address that. On the <clears throat> femoral head side, if we do see a big defect in, preoperatively, we might consider doing something more aggressive, such as a surgical head dislocation with a with an osteochondral allograft transplant. But um, but for these, you know, small, more common typical acetabular defects, um, we tend to just give patients the counseling and let them make the determination um, if they want to proceed with surgery. Yeah, absolutely. All the more reason that knowing more before the time of surgery is helpful as, as opposed to surprising the patient afterwards with this type of conversation. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So how do you think the, the findings that you had in your study will change your own practice or does it not change it at all? So one part that, of this study that ha has changed my practice is the finding on the uh, just how significant bone edema or cystic changes in the acetabulum can be in terms of hinting at a cartilage problem. Um, and so if I do see uh, acetabular edema or cystic I am very, and, and the cartilage is, re is reported as normal on the MRI. I'm very straightforward with patients letting them know that the chances of them actually having a, a high-grade defect is actually quite high. Um, and so, um, so in that way, the, these data were really helpful in informing me on that. Um, it was a suspicion that I had before doing the study, and then it was nice to see that play out with the numbers. So what became clear with these results is really that we haven't gotten it right as far as diagnosing cartilage lesions before arthroscopic hip surgery. So what do you think the research that we need to do or the research that's on the horizon will be related to this topic that will really help us get better at this in the future? So I think that that question kind of has two facets to look at. One is like the diagnostic piece of like figuring out if there's a cartilage defect. And then the other part is how much does that cartilage defect matter for the patient's outcome? 
in terms of you know research on the latter part of that, um, I think we have a lot of stu good studies showing that those cartilage defects do matter, but they don't. They still, it's not a one one to one re relationship, right? So there are still some patients that, even despite having a grade uh, a high grade lesion, still do quite well after surgery. And so there's a piece there that we still don't understand in terms of patient outcome. You know, there are probably other pieces to that patients um, that are um, playing a, a bigger role in their postoperative outcome. In terms of the diagnostic piece, you know, I think we're limited with the technology that we have in terms of MRI. You know, there's three Tesla, and that's, that's probably the best magnet that we have for now in a clinical, a practical clinical setting. It really comes down to, well, what other pieces of information can we use to help counsel our patients if the MRI does have limitations? And so that's where, you know, having a good grasp of how to interpret their preoperative x-rays and how to take um, you know, elements of those x-rays um, that such as, you know, large pincer or large cam morphology that may be, um, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, global pincers, um, you know, um, uh, that, that may uh, predispose them again to having these cartilage problems, even though the MRI might look clean, as well as taking into patient specific factors like their age, etc. And so the in terms of that preoperative counseling piece, you know, it's taking the MRI, but then understanding the limitations of that technology that we have. Um, and maybe down down the road, we'll have better imaging that is even more precise than what we have now. But um, for for the time being, I think it's, you know, just taking in all of the pieces of information that you have and coming up with a, a reasonable prediction for the patient. Yeah, that's that's excellent. And I think your study also really helped us understand what those limitations are. And that's a very important part in counseling our patients as well. So I think you guys did great work. And uh, even if it was to just clarify what we don't know, that's still very helpful. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Hagen. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much, Dr. Spiker. I've really enjoyed this. And um, I'd like to thank all of my um, co-authors on the study as well. Um, the team effort putting this together. Dr. Hagen's paper titled Magnetic Resonance Imaging Predictors of Chondral Lesions in Patients with Femoroacetabular Impingement, an analysis of 545 cases, can be found in the August 2021 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal or online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. This concludes our episode of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Thank you for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal.